you want to learn more about effective management, head over to madsingers.com and sign up for my free management training. Welcome to the Mad Singers Management Podcast from madsingers.com, where entrepreneurs and business managers learn and share. If you like the show, don't forget to leave a review. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Today, I'm joined by David Gaines. Welcome, David. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure. And we're going to touch about some subjects or touch on some subjects we haven't touched as much on before. But just before we get started, would you mind giving a little bit of an introduction of who you are and how you ended up where you are right now? Sure. Yeah. So um, I own a coffee roasting business in Cincinnati, Ohio called La Terza Coffee. Uh, La Terza is Italian and it translates to the third. So Italian is our way to say, hey, Italy, thank you for bringing us espresso. We really like it. And then this idea of the third place, which is, um, you know, a coffee shop is something that we would consider a third place. It gets its name. It's not your home. It's not your work, but here's a, a community living room. So, you know, our business is based on how do we help coffee shop owners, independent owners create that third place and, and uh, through the vehicle of coffee. So, um, so yeah, but I love coffee, but honestly, the, the reason why I personally love this space is because coffee does a lot or can be, um, we consider ourselves a social enterprise. Uh, so while we are for-profit business, we do have measure our social impact as well. And coffee is just a fantastic vehicle to do that. Um, working closely with the relationships of our producers around the world uh, ensuring not just fair wages, but living wages for everyone on the supply chain. And, uh, you know, the more I grow that for-profit business, the more social impact we can have. So um, that's why I got involved with coffee. And it's really taken me on to a whole new journey of, of social impact and social enterprise. Sounds amazing. Um, I rarely admit this on air, but I am one of, I guess, three human beings that absolutely cannot drink coffee. Um, yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> but I'm sure there's always some of us around. Yeah, well, hey, I'll I'll share a, a little secret. You know, so I did not start this business. I bought it from a friend, and um, 15. Well, I bought the business at eight years ago, but a friend of mine started it about 15 years ago, and he said, "Hey, I, I'm starting this coffee roastery." So I said, "Awesome! I don't like coffee, so have fun with that one." And, uh, you know, at that moment, he gave me what I didn't realize was a great cup of coffee. And I didn't realize how how big of a difference it was. So so to this day, if you just give me a cup of coffee, I'm not really in. But if it's the specialty coffee, something you know really unique, there is something pretty magical about that. And I do love that. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. So there's hope is really what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> definitely, definitely, definitely. So tell me a little bit more about this social enterprise. I mean, because I guess, I mean, I've, I spent quite a lot of time in the UK where I was actually doing some volunteering with some social enterprise and so on. But how, how do you look at the whole concept and what, what's sort of your goal and your dreams with this thing? Yeah, well, you know, again, that's kind of why I got involved with coffee is because of we could have social impact. I, I loved volunteering in nonprofit sectors and serving others. Um, and, but I always felt split with my time, you know, how do I make money and provide where I can eat? <laughs> um, but also, you know, give back and serve people. And so, uh, this, this business gave me an avenue to do two things at the same time. And so it took about three or four years to really see the level of impact that we could have. But for me, as I look at social enterprise, um, you know, uh, I actually am the 
board chairperson for uh, the U.S. organization, Social Enterprise Alliance. And um, we just came out with a new definition of this is what it means to be a social enterprise. And, you know, and I think that a lot of people are always wrestling with where is this line? How good is good enough? Is does give back like like the Tom Shoes model? Is that a social enterprise? Um, and, and for me, it's much more about being a journey. And when you really dissect all of it and go to the root of what social impact means, for me, it, it really just comes down to the golden rule. Treat other people the way you want to be treated. So, uh, you know, about three years into owning this business, you know, our story is based in the supply chain. Um, but I realized like that it's not a checkbox. It, it's, you know, we don't, hey, let's just pay what we should for coffee. But, you know, how do we go deeper with that impact? Um, you know, how do we help a farmer build a school? Uh, the, we have one primary direct trade relationship. It's a woman-owned plantation in Honduras. And, um, you know, when you empower women in the coffee sector, it's just unbelievable what happens. Uh, just in general, that feminine spirit is much more communal in their impact. So she is a fourth generation coffee farmer. She, um, the first woman in her family to kind of take the, the reins. And she converted her plantation to a, from a commodity grade coffee to a specialty grade coffee, which then brought in more money, her coffee tastes amazing, um, but she immediately helped build a school for the plantation and, and all the families that live there. So, um, and now, now she's working on building a drying facilities to empower other women producers in the area. So, um, so it, like, it, it, if it was just a checkbox, we would be out, but you know, how do we really tr go deeper with this relationship and help her build out this processing facility so that she can have even more impact. Or, you know, coffee is, is just one product we bring in. Um, you know, so how do we apply the same ethics and values to everything? You know, uh, coffee, unfortunately, is a modern day slave trade product often, uh, usually in the form of indentured servitude. But um, so is textiles. So when I bring in a T-shirt that has our logo on it, you know, how am I trying to find shirts that are ethically made, that are paid living wages, that are empowering to their employees? So wrestling with all that, um, you know, really made me see that if you look at this definition of treat other people the way you want to be treated, really, there's seven groups of people that every organization touches. Mm -hmm. So our story begins with the supply chain, but impacting our team members is really important. How do we treat our customers the way we want to be treated is important. You know, so for us, I actually want, I, I don't lead with our story. I want you to buy our coffee because it's amazing. It of course has these great stories too, but I don't want to manipulate someone or guilt someone into buying our coffee because it has this great story. Buy it because it's amazing. Um, you know, so that's, that's how I would want to be treated as a customer. Um, how are we treating our competitors the way we want to be treated? That one is a challenge for sure. Um, but, you know, my dream is that the world, uh, the way that we buy coffee around the world would be radically transformed. Uh, I can't do that by myself. So how do I do that in collaboration with my competitors? Um, you know, how are we impacting our local community? Uh, you know, the reality is our brand is a little bit more on the expensive side, a little bit more boutique. Um, we're in a poorer community in my city and not everyone can afford to buy our coffee. I'm still the neighbor, you know, so what, what am I doing in my local impact? 
how are we impacting the environment, which is being that global citizen? And then finally, um, how are we taking care of ourselves? Because the, you know, most people I know that are in this social enterprise space or in the nonprofit space are really good at taking care of other people. Um, pretty rarely take care of themselves effectively. Yes. And, and so there's just huge amounts of burnout. And so, you know, we want to love all these people groups, right? Well, how do we best learn to love ourselves so that we have more capacity to care for those around us? Um, so, so really, uh, for me, it, it has come down to this basic principle of the golden rule. Here's these seven areas. And then really what we're trying to do is just measure each one and, and re recognizing that it's a journey and that I can just take one step at a time in every one of the seven categories. So okay. that's kind of the, the yeah, at this I, point, I, the... I really love your competitor point, right? Like I have, yeah. I, I own like five business, well, probably more than five, but I own at least five businesses. And one of the key things for me have always been, I, I love my competitors. Uh, I think the world is always so big that you are much better off collaborating with the people around you. Yeah. And growing everyone rather than you know trying to take down the guy next door because first totally. of all generally when you when people focus on competitors it's one usually negative energy and two it doesn't help their business right, right. so most of the time like when i see people like oh these are these guys are selling this thing for this much and all this kind of stuff like the whole thing is the focus is the wrong way around right and right. i love what you said about the product all right right like in the end of the day, I mean, marketing is important. Uh, all this other stuff is good. But if, if you if you have a great product, it doesn't mean it sells itself. It doesn't. But if you have a great product, at least you give people no excuse to go to a competitor. Right, right. right. Well, and like you said, you're one of three people around the world that doesn't drink coffee. So I have a huge, <laughs> you know, uh, customer pool. And there's lots of reasons that we can differentiate ourselves. And, you know, we lean, really lean hard into the, the principle that a rising tide raises all ships. So yeah, and I, I, I think, I mean, it works in all senses, right? I mean, I, I, I used to work in the corporate world for quite a while. And, and, and I remember at one point I was, uh, I was doing a, a job interview for a promotion and I ended up spending like an hour helping my closest competitor for that same job interview. Right. And the thing is, again, I think that's a mindset. I mean, I love helping people and, and honestly, again, like I don't want people to pick me because just because they like me or whatever. I want people to pick me because I'm the best option. Exactly. Obviously, I, obviously, I usually am. But uh, right, right, right. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I like I like the mindset a lot. Yeah. So I, you know, as this kind of unfolded for me, and really seeing it, you know, that team culture was kind of that second bucket. Like, okay, here's this, all this impact that we're doing around the world, keying in on this idea of living wages. Um, well, okay, so what am I working on to provide living wages for my team here? You know, and how do we be at the top of the pay scale and grow this business and, and um, you know, and, and, and make it a place where people want to come to work. Uh, you know, we spend, what, 40 hours a week on average or more uh, with these people and, um, I, I could make the argument that financially it's, it's really great to create a work environment where people are happy, happier employees are more productive employees. They, they stick around longer. Um, so in the long run, it's, it's, it's much more um, profitable 
to create this kind of culture. But even if that weren't the case, like this, this is the group of people that I spend the most time with, even more than my family, if you think about it for your week. And so, um, you know, how, what am I doing just to create a really great work environment where people can come in and love the job? Totally, totally agree. And I, I think many entrepreneurs in particular always focus on like, you know, how much they're paid, are they leaving because they want more money? I always say the same thing. If people are leaving your business for the sole reason of money, then you're in a good place. All right. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, you want to compare competitive rate compared to what you do. You obviously don't want to pay staff. Like even if you have great staff, you don't want to pay them more than makes sense for the business because then the business stop making sense, right? So, so the fundamental in every business is always understanding like what what is a what makes sense to pay based on your products and services and all this kind of stuff, and then really look at you know with those individuals like because again if someone feels they can walk down the street and get three times the salary the they, some people will definitely do that but in majority of the case when you know if, if salary is the main thing that people complain about in my experience that means most other things are pretty good right right, right. <laughs> in most in most companies salary is not the main thing people complain about they complain about that as well and they're kind of like oh you know if i got a lot more money i could deal with this other shit to put it politely but you know like in in most cases though is salary is not the main thing. And yeah. I, I think fundamentally for me, when I look at people, I, I look at it in a similar fashion as you, but the way I tend to look at it is really that uh, it's not just people spend that much time at work. It's the fact that I, I see how closely people being happy is linked to people being happy at work. So yeah. if, you have, if you have an employee that's doing a bad job and they're not good at work, the likelihood is like 90% plus that they will not be happy when they go home either. Right. Right. And I think that that's where we're moving to, you know, that, that we are looking at the whole person, you know? Um, and when I think of what, like em, things like employee wellness, um, you know, helping, is it a re employer's responsibility to make sure an employee has access to, um, you know, budgeting, uh, classes or mental health classes or or just access to those kind of things is it an employer's responsibility not probably not but at the same time um, if someone is stressed financially or or has other stressors outside of work it comes to work like so the more that we can provide kind of opportunities to for true uh, wellness and 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 looking at the whole person the the more opportunity um, we can we can help build that team culture. So by building into the individual, we really are embodying or embracing more of a team uh, culture that, that where we all have our, each other's back. Definitely. And, and yeah, it's often the easier, like when you're dealing with startups, right? like really as a founder or in a, in a smaller business, when you're leading a small business, right? It is easier to drive the whole culture. It is easier to, to be the man or be the woman at the head of the game, right? And and, uh, and and drive a solid culture and really embody that sort of whole startup mentality, right? But I think fundamentally for me, learning to look at 
people first. I, I fundamentally, like everyone say, if you don't have any customers, you don't have any money. That's correct. But in the end of the day, if you don't have employees that are happy, if you don't have good employees, uh, in my opinion, you have nothing because the value of a business is based on its assets and the biggest asset any company will ever have is employees. Right? Yeah. Yep. So. Well, and and really what that has led for us. So we, we've kind of, we work hard on a regular basis of, of you know, doing things like Myers-Briggs or DISC assessments and, and really understanding kind of the way we all tick. Um, so we've uh, done some of that work to create a culture. I think one of the things that for us has really helped us attract amazing employees is we we really live and embody those values. So we're kind of already getting the best of the best applicants coming in. We have people that want to work here. Um, not, not only once they hear about our team culture and wanting to be a part of that, but understanding that they get to be a part of the social mission um, too is, is been really helpful. And then I would say like right now, I think what I'm really excited to share with you, again, this whole thing's a journey, right? And, and how do we take one step at a time? the the thing that we're working on now and it, it'll probably take a couple of years to get there where we want but i want to i want to become an employee owned company and move away from even this idea of employees and truly embrace this idea of team where we're all in together we're all in ownership uh, or at least have that opportunity and um you know that's kind of the beginning journey that we just started uh, that's the journey that we're on right now what, what, what does that look for you? Like, what, what do you envision? So first of all, how, how far do you feel you're away from that? And what do you envision it to look like when you get there? Yeah, well, there's a couple different ways to do it. Um, based on the size of our company, you know, we're, we just hit a million in sales. So we're a small business and our team is, um, we have 10 people total with a couple of those being part-time folks and remote. Uh, so, you know, we're still, a, uh, I really feel like we still are a startup uh, and we just hit this million dollar uh, sales price point for the year, um, which has been a great thing. But, you know, how do I help empower other, the other team members to be that owner? And so based on the size of our company, we'll probably be more of a co-op model. So everyone has a chance to buy in and then, um, you know, major decisions are made with the vote of everyone. Uh, so I would still be for us, the structure looks like there would be a, vo a board and there would be members that would be voted into the board. Likely I would be the chairman of that board, um, but it would be voted upon based on, on the team members. So yeah, just with the other way to do it is just a truly employee-owned company in the U.S. called an ESOP. Um, the hard part with that is, you know, if you have to actually value the company every year, and so then that gets very expensive. Uh, so with our the size of our company, that's not really the route that will will go on. But um, yeah, so I think it'll take two two years. Right now, what we've done is is kind of gone through a program that helps us to write some of that governance. Um, and then, you know, the reality is I do have a ownership board and, uh, COVID I think has delayed our transition the way we wanted to, um, we did grow last year, which we're only 7% of coffee roasters worldwide that grew during COVID. So on the higher end of that, which is great, 
um, but we certainly did not grow at the rate we normally grow um, every year. So to set basically to sell the company to the employees at this moment would be a bad investment. So I have to kind of keep that self-care thing in mind too. There was an awful lot of work to build this business and we need to be able to reap the rewards just a touch before we would tr just sell it to the organization. Um, yeah. So, so it's, it's, it looks like it'll be about a two year process just to get COVID settled out behind us as well as put all those governance structures in place where we clearly define who votes, how much does is the buy-in, what does the percentage of dividends at the end of the year go to each employee, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, yeah. interesting. I mean, and, and I think uh, what I've seen is when companies goes great, that's great. And it's kind of like, how do we share the cake? I've seen uh, definitely troubles when companies are not doing so good mm -hmm. and there's no cake to share or worse, it goes in a very negative direction. Right. Yeah. Hey, that's, I mean, that's, uh, that's part of the ownership part too, yeah. is that, is that, um, you know, it, you're with us good or bad. You, you get the exactly. dividends as well as like the negative side of it. So, um, so that's why governance and, and working through those is really important and, cool, and yeah. getting a, experienced teams that have led organizations, I think is, is how we're looking at that. Um, and I would also say like, you know, we talked a lot about the culture and, and that ethic of treating the team the way we want to be treated. You know, we've been on that journey for a long time. And so I think the culture is right for us to move forward to employee ownership. So, you know, the, the goal is that if everyone's an owner, we're going to get everyone to be sellers, right? Everyone's going to be trying to tell the story of the company that much more than just me. Um, and really they own, they have a much deeper buy-in, but um, you know, but it's a culture that we've embraced for a while where like, we're pretty open with, we, we have an open book policy, like here's, here's how the company's doing. Um, and we want the employees to know now what everything feels like. Uh, so then last year when COVID was happening, uh, um, like, you know, we, day by day, things were getting shut down. Right. And, and uh, we are, our labor's based on what we produce and what people buy. So, um, you know, I, I had a meeting with the team and just said, Hey, or, you know, prepared them for the day before, like, I need you guys to go home and, and look at your budget because I'm pretty sure we're going to have to, our sales are going to take a 50% hit um, in the immediate future. At that moment in time, we were hoping COVID would be, you know, a two or three month thing that we could all push through, right? Unfortunately, it was much longer. But we came together the next day just to say, you know, what is everyone's personal budget? What can you do? What what are you able to take a pause? Of course, there'd be essentially, uh, you know, less work too. So if you took a reduction in pay that your hours would reflect that. And, and everyone on the team except one person was uh, dual income. They had a partner or significant other that was also working um, where they could say, you know, for, for a temporary period of time, yeah, I can take a 30% reduction in time and pay. Uh, one individual on the team was single and that was not an option. And she was actually the newest person on the team. So she went into the meeting and if I'm, truthful, I kind of went into the meeting with this mentality as well, that she wasn't going to have a job on the other side, that she would have to go through unemployment. And the team together said, no, 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 
look, if we all take this sacrifice here, she can have her job. Um, and we don't think that she should take a sacrifice. She, she needs the income. So there was this collective posture of team that was unfolding before my eyes that uh, to me was just beautiful. It was everything that I hoped a team culture could be. Um, so everybody except this individual took a pay cut, reduction in hours. This person, their pay stayed the same. And the request from the team to her was, you know, hey, we, we, we pr we're pretty strict at trying to keep at 40 hours. So while we're making this sacrifice of reduced hours and reduced pay so that you can have your job, could your sacrifice be 50 hours so that you can kind of cover some of the hours that we're going to be missing? So that's just an example of a culture that existed. And I think that that's what I'm hoping that we can lean into to make a smooth transition to becoming employee-owned as we're kind of already embodying, um, I think, the necessary pieces to uh, that mentality. Excellent. Excellent. Well, that's very good. And uh, I think, uh, yeah, as I said, I, I don't know a ton of people who have gone through this, but uh, it, it definitely sounds very interesting. And I like the whole mindset around it and so on. I'm, I'm very curious to see how it actually works in reality. Um, yeah, yeah. Very curious. Um, but yeah, that's great, David. That sounds great. Any other sort of, I mean, you've been at this business for a while now. So any, any sort of big management lessons you've had or any big... Uh, let's call it screw-ups of a lack of a better word uh, that you have had from a management point of view that the audience can learn a little bit from? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, when we do get, um, I would say the scripts that I have even recently are, you know, doing a little bit more vetting when we do hire someone in, right? So we've worked really hard at creating a specific culture and that culture is not an idea that's embraced by everyone that comes in, you know? Um, so, so when I do make a, a bad hire, um, and even if it's bad, is not maybe even too extreme of a word. It's not that it's a bad hire as much as it's not a, a hire for us, a good hire for us that really fits the culture. Yeah. It, it really can be a cancer very fast. And so you've created this thing of, of a beautiful culture. It's very, very delicate. So uh, one person that doesn't fully embody all of those principles can really become a cancer to that culture. Definitely. So, uh, you know, the lessons that I'm sitting in with that, um, you know, there's two individuals that come to mind over the last two years that, again, they're not bad people or anything like that. Um, and I wouldn't even say they're bad employees. They just weren't the right fit for us. Uh, I, what I am learning at the moment is hiring for character first rather than skill set. And because with both of those two hires, I hired to skill set. And I thought the culture would be a fit, of course, but I hired to skill set and I passed over an applicant that was like just the best human being individual, right? And, and um, I, moving forward, I think the lesson for me is to always hire the best human being at the table because i can teach the skill set you know we can teach the skill set exactly and, that, and that, that's uh, i mean I, I say the same thing so i i look at i look at both culture but i really look at attitude culture and just personality fit right because mm -hmm. 
I mean, there's sometimes if you need to hire a web developer, for example, it's great. Sure. They know a little bit of coding, right? But that, there's definitely certain things where you need some skill set. But the whole thing is it's not the skill set. It's not the experience. I mean, uh, as an entrepreneur, one of my first hires was uh, I, I absolutely suck at sales. And the first hire I hired had been in sales for 23 years with the same company. And I learned when I hired the guy that the reason he had been in one company was because he definitely could never get another job anywhere else. And oh. <laughs> they did not have what it takes to let him go. So, um, yeah. And again, it was the same thing. Like I was, I, I made this big mistake. I was blown away by his CV because I'm like, I'm sitting there starting my, my first business and I'm like, I suck at sales. And here's this guy with 23 years of experience. And, you know, I was just... <laughs> I, I didn't even interview him to the level that I know I always should. And uh, just, yeah, that was just very, very yep. poor for my side, yep. right? So. Yep. So all that, it seems like the only way to go through it. Well, hopefully not. Hopefully people listen to this podcast and they can learn from my lesson and your lesson and, and yeah. Hire I mean, honestly, first. honestly, I hired hundreds and hundreds of people before it, but you know, you can still fall in that trap. Yeah. As well, so yeah. totally. Definitely. Well, David, been awesome talking with you, and I, I really like some of the ideas you have with the business and so on. So I, I really hope to hear in a year or two that uh, that things are going amazingly well. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I'll have to keep you posted when uh, when we make our transition. I'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> Fantastic, David. If if people are eager to reach out for any reason, what's the best way to find you and hunt you down? <laughs> yeah. So they can email me directly, david at laterzacoffee.com, L-A-T-E-R-Z-A, coffee.com. And then that's the website, laterzacoffee.com. Um, if you're interested in social enterprise, I'm the, the board chairperson for Social Enterprise Alliance, which is socialenterprise.us. And then I actually am a co-host of a podcast called The Third Place Podcast, where, so I was talking about how coffee shops are this third place. So we've taken this idea of third place to a digital space and how do we help people have uncomfortable, awkward conversations? So talking about grief or death or, um, you know, some fun topics, like we interviewed uh, someone who is a dwarf and, and uh, you know, what are all the awkward, uncomfortable conversations that he's ever had? Um, so just really an impactful uh, podcast. And so that's, that's, been pretty fun to see a third place embodied in digital space so that's thirdplacepodcast.com awesome i love that concept as well so <laughs> david thank you very much for joining me today thank you so much for having me it was it was awesome excellent and to the audience thank you very much for listening all the way to the end we'll be back again next week have a nice week Thank you for listening to the Mad Singers Management Podcast. Please leave a review. It means the world to us. You can also learn more about management at madsingers.com.